Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Thanks, Tim. It's good to be here. I think it's been about five years, so I think I made quite an impact last time, and it was quick to get back here. I, um, it's really good to be here. Uh, my name is David. Uh, most of you know me as Didi, and I go by David at my home church, Cross Point, and there's great confusion because people say, hey, when is Didi going to come? And like he was here, like I'm Didi and David, and um, it's an insecurity issue for me because I have a second cousin who's a girl named Didi, and I always feel like that like keeps like, so um, if I cry and you call me Didi, it's, it's because there's issues being worked out, and so I just want to prepare you for that. I uh, spoke to my brother John um, last night about being here and just asked, you know, just some thoughtful input on, you know, what to, how to carry myself. And uh, his one main thing was just be short, man, like just be short. And so I'm serious, like that was it. And so I, um, I want to honor that request this morning and just be short. Does that sound okay? So um, with that being said, I'm just going to pray a moment and then we're jumping right in. And so, God, thank you that you pursue and you pursue and you pursue. God, thank you that that your your operating system towards us is one of love, of kindness, of mercy. And I just thank you for rescue. And, and we just invite you into this moment, just the few that we have. As we open your word, God, we just ask that your word would speak into the depths of our hearts. We give you permission. We give you access to those places. Be with us in these moments, Jesus. Amen. So as we, uh, we're going to go into Acts in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to just set up kind of like what we're looking at this morning. We're looking at this idea of rescue. And this was very meaningful for me very recently. So about three or four weeks ago, I went with a couple guys out to the wilderness of Wyoming, and we decided it would be a great idea to climb a mountain. And so we went to Gannett Peak, which was kind of remote wilderness area, and um, it, it was like stunning. The, the the peak is straight back where the the, the snow top mountain. That's that's what we climbed. It, it was stunning beauty. It was one of the, the hardest, most incredible things I've ever done. I when I summited this mountain, got here, um, I literally just broke down weeping. And as I was weeping and crying, I like had this like self reflective moment of like. This is a mountaintop experience. Like, those are real. Like, that exists, and this is mine. And so I owned it. And um, what was amazing is, like, remote wilderness, nothing. At the peak highest point of Gannett Peak, Verizon has one bar. And so I got to the highest point and had my phone up, and I called my wife. And I'm like, I made it. I love you. And we hung up. And so if you're ever there, like, bring Verizon. Like, nothing else works but from that one moment. On the way down um, this mountain, we, we came to a place. I was with Ryan Heath. Um, Ryan is crazy. Um, he didn't bring a helmet, didn't bring any, like, mountaineering gear, and he just did it. Like, he's a crazy guy. So we're coming down the mountain. It took a lot longer than we expected. I started throwing up. I got altitude sickness. We ran out of water. So, like, if any of you have done any kind of things like this, those are all bad signs. And so um, we got to a point where the sun had been out too long, the snow was turning to mush, and we didn't have a way down. And so it was one of those rare moments in my life where I'm like, 
oh man, Beth is going to kill me if I die. Like, again, like she's going to be, like, I got to get down. Like, there are four kids. And, and so we had just this moment, Ryan and I, of like, we, we didn't know what to do. Um, the group that we were following down, they got um, repelling stuff out and they lowered themselves down and we didn't have any of that gear and, and we were stuck. And in that moment, this group next, uh, that, so that's kind of what we're trying to come down right there. Um, so if you go to the next slide, this is the, the Wasatch Peak Baggers, their group from Utah, bunch of kind Mormons. And they were behind us. And they started repelling, and me and Ryan were like, guys, like, we're stuck. We're from Chicago. We have no idea what we're doing. We just signed on like a week ago. Like, can you help us? And they were so gracious and so kind. They got us all geared in with the harnesses, the blaze, and there's a few pictures after that of us um, repelling down the mountain. Got down safely, and like, these, these people became um, such wonderful, such beautiful, real special people to me. And so I, I'm keeping in touch with some of them. And part of, I think, like, for me, on the receiving end of their kindness and generosity is they were a part of my rescue. They were etched into my story. They they were a part of something where I was in a moment of need and dire straits, and they entered in, and they came through, and, and they were a part of my rescue. And I think that this idea of rescue is so crucial to how we understand our life and our life with God. Because we love stories of rescue. If you look at the Thailand thing with the caves, like, Oh, that, that moment, those rescuers, the courage, and, and there's just something that the world watches in awe and wonder because I believe that we are hardwired for rescue. There's something that we know like is broken and not right that needs something, needs fixing, needs rescue. And when we look at rescue this morning, we're going to look at it through the lens of Paul. And so in Acts, there's a guy that went by the name Saul who later became Paul, so the name was interchangeable. He was a really bad, really horrible person, and he was in dire straits of needing rescue. And I want to just briefly look at his rescue and then just share a few thoughts on how that looks for us in our own life. And so this morning, if you're wondering, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? Like, what does salvation mean? Am I saved? I want to walk us through some things this morning to answer that question for us. So if you have your scriptures, we're looking in Acts 9, chapter 1, uh, cha- uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll have it on the screen here if you don't have your scriptures. So this is at a time when um, persecution was coming across the church, and the main guy, the main kind of like instigator of this was Saul. And so verse 1, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so this is setting the stage. Saul's a really bad guy. And the translation that Luke is giving of this every breath, he's uttering threats, um, the Greek translation is basically a wild animal. And so what he's trying to give a picture of is this guy was like a wild, rampaging animal, destroying and bringing destruction upon God's people. He was out of control. Like he was full of anger, and, and that's what Luke is helping us see to set the stage for what happens next. So in verse 2, it says, He went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. So he was going, hunting them down, finding anyone who followed Jesus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. 
This was a man who was driven. And, and if you look at a map of, um, sometimes in your Bible, they'll be in the back. If you look at where Jerusalem was and if you look at where Damascus was, it's about 150 miles and it's all desert. And so he was willing to travel through desert a week-long, brutal trek to Damascus just to track down any potential people that might know Jesus there. This guy was driven. Here we see his moment where as he is approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's interesting. Um, he tells the story actually of this event over and over again. That's part of his testimony. And later in, in Acts 26, 14, he retells it and he says something very similar. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So going back into verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there is a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. How cool is it to hear God's voice in a vision? Calling your name. Like, what a moment for him, like just doing his thing, and God just shows up and says, Ananias. And he says, yes, Lord. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So God gives him a mission. God gives him something to do, and I think it's important that uh, what God is after in our life is honesty. He's after like a, a reality of where we are at in our hearts and our journeys. And often I think sometimes we can bring a together religious um, facade that doesn't get to the reality of where we're at. And look at this moment. God speaks to him, gives him a vision, gives him a mission. What does he say? But Lord... Exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name, meaning who? Me, right? Like, wait, Lord, um, this is going to bring great risk to me. Uh, is there is there another way through this? Like, can you just do it yourself? Like, do you know how, like, the risk I'm putting myself in? I love his honesty. God speaks to him in a vision. God reveals himself, calls him by name, and he's like, he, pass, uh, move on. Who's the next guy? And I, I think it's important that God rewards a heart that is true on the inmost places. And here he is exposed before God and having an honest conversation with God. We need honesty with God, don't we? Like, that matters. And the Lord gives him a butt back. But the Lord said to him, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings 
as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. I don't think he was really excited. Laid his hands on him, right? Brother Saul, the Lord did it. Like, I don't think there was just this beautiful moment. I think he was like with fear and trembling. Lord, who appeared to you on the, on the road, he has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up, was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. What stands out to me is we read the story is, is I am overwhelmed by the kindness and the mercy of God towards this wretched man. That God would pursue and, and seek and, and go after him. And when grace enters your story, when grace comes to you, everything changes. He goes from this rabid, wild beast of a man, and he becomes the man that God meant when he meant him. There's nothing more beautiful for you and I when grace enters our story to become the man and the woman that God always intended to be in our life. And this was his journey in grace. And so I want to just look at four things that Paul lays out in his letters to the churches of his own experience of what it means to be saved. What does it mean to be rescued by Jesus? Why is Jesus so amazing? The first is this. We see that God takes the initiative in joy. Like God steps into his story by sheer delight and joy and interrupts his path to destruction. We see in Galatians 1, 15, Paul says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. It says then he, it pleased him. It brought him pleasure. It brought him joy to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. It brought joy and pleasure to God to call me from this place of darkness to be his son. I think what's cool about this is, is Paul correlates his salvation experience of God bringing him from one kingdom to another, from one place of darkness into light. And, and he's saying, like, not only did God do this, but he did this so that I would proclaim good news. And here's the thing. God did not save us just to go to heaven. Like, the Christian life is not boiled down to a prayer and this waiting foxhole mentality for the world to break apart and everything to go down so that he will come back and we go to heaven with him. God saves you and I for a mission, for a purpose, and it's to share the love and the good news of Jesus. And so Paul understood that his salvation experience wasn't just about him being made right with God, which is so crucial, but it was about him letting the world see and know this love and mercy that he experienced. We are saved for mission, church. Like that is God's desire and intent for you and I, is that like as we experience his love, that love would be shared with others. Number two, I love this, the imagery, and I think so many of Paul's letters that he wrote in different encouragements we're rooted in his own story. And so from his experience, he is inspired and, and writing and sharing from things that happened to him. And so the second thing I want to show is this. Christ arrests us. When he, when his grace comes, when, when we find ourselves face to face with him, he arrests us. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 3.12. 
Not that I've already attained all this, not that I'm perfect, not that I have everything together, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And that, that took hold of is, is a word that's used for arresting, for seizing someone by like the back of their shirt. And, and what Paul is saying is like my life, my ambition, my story, like what I'm about is I want to take hold of, like I want to know this Jesus and, and this fellowship with him and this suffering and this journey with him. Like I want this to be my thing. And it's rooted in this. It's not that like I've done this and I've attained this. He's like, well, it was, it's rooted in this, that he first arrested me. Here is Paul going to arrest Christians, and he is saying, God first arrested me. And so salvation, to know Christ, is to be arrested by him, to be seized by him, to be brought near by him. And so as he does that to us, we can't help but respond and say, but I just want to take hold of you. Like you're everything, your life, you create the universe, and, and you know me, and you save me, and you've arrested me. And so... Salvation, as Paul describes, is one of being arrested by his love. Number three, he also talks about this idea of illuminating our darkness. God illuminates our darkness as we experience his grace. And I love in Genesis where it begins and and the beginning of the scriptures show the power of God's word. When God speaks, this Genesis says, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Like as he spoke it, it happened. Like he has the authority. He has the power to do this. And Paul is comparing like that profound moment in Genesis, that creation where God did this thing. And he's saying, you know, that like that powerful awestruck, like God spoke and things happened. He says, it, it, God said, let there be light and darkness in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, he has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Like that same power that spoke and creation happened and and things just came into existence is the same power that God speaks into our own hearts and lives. And, And as he speaks into our hearts, that let there be light, that once we were in darkness and hiding and broken and shame, that the, the good news is that God brings us out of that place and brings us to light, and he has the authority and the power to do it, just like he did in creation. And so there's no less of a greater like miracle and amazingness and awesomeness of God as we read about creation and that happening than what happens in your and I hearts when God shows up. Come on. Like, how awesome is that? That as God does that, like, and, 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 and just speaks into things that that's happening here on an intimate level with you and I. To be saved is to be brought out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lastly, I want to show that God is not a stingy God. He is not a stingy God with us. And one Timothy, Paul again is recounting his life isn't it amazing how much like his story, like I think we need to understand and dig like what is your story and what is your story with God and, and, and do you understand it? Because here he's saying, look, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, like he's owning his story. This is who I once was. 
the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. That, that The imagery of poured out on me abundantly is a huge rainfall and a river overflowing its banks and just spreading everywhere. And Paul is saying, like, that's how much God's love poured out on me in my heart. And as I received his love being poured out on me, along with the faith and love that are in Christ, like, this changed everything. And so God is not stingy with you and I. And his intention, his desire towards you this morning is that you would experience the overflowing, all-encompassing abundance of His love and His mercy and His grace. And those are all found in Christ. He has given us His own Son. He is ours. He's our brother, our Savior, our friend, our closest ally. And so salvation is an experience by which we we just share in this this amazing reality of Christ's love just being lavished on us over and over and over again. God is so lavish with his grace. And so I, I think it's helpful for us to think about salvation, what it means to know Jesus, what it means to, to be found in him is so important for us in how we see our life. Church, we've been arrested by him. We've been caught up with him. We have been recipients of his lavish love, brought out of darkness and into light. He has, before the foundation of the world, had you and I in mind, and it was with joy and pledge. Oh, yeah, Brian, Tim, you're mine, Phil, Jen, like, you're, you're mine. Like, I, I have you. Like, you're part of this story. I want to pour out my love into your hearts. I think one note that really challenges me in how we relate to God. Um, when we looked in Acts 26 earlier when Paul was recounting and saying, so also, why do you persecute me? How cool is it that Jesus takes so personal what God was, what was happening to believers? As Saul is persecuting believers, Jesus is saying, you're actually persecuting me. And I think what that says to us is that Jesus so deeply identifies with you and I. What you go through, what you are going through today matters to him and he is experiencing it intimately with you so in that moment where where uh saul is recounting that and he says you know god was saying to him why do you so why do you kick against the goads i found this to be fascinating um there's a greek writer who i will butcher his name but anytime you have a greek name you just say it like whatever you say is the way you say it because no one else knows how either so i'm going to call him euripides and we'll go with that um he died in 406 bc that's 40 years before christ came to in the, in the scene, he was a pagan, not a good dude, not a God follower. Like he was um, not like this esteemed uh, person in the Christian community or in the Jewish community. And he wrote this book called The Bacchae. And, and this is a line from his book that was actually a pretty a famous book at the time. Um, he, he said this, I would control my rage and sacrifice to him, the gods, um, if I were you, rather than kick against the goads. And so what's amazing to me is this well-known book that was written, that was shared, and um, Paul was a very educated man. Um, God quotes to Paul in that moment of salvation from a book that wasn't a Christian book, but was a popular cultural book at the time. And he spoke to Paul in a language that he understood. I think sometimes we can um, create very large uh, dichotomies and divisions between religious and non-religious. And I think God is so big, he cuts across everything, and he speaks to us in a language we understand. I think that's pretty cool. And he got what he's putting down. Like Saul knew exactly what he was talking about as he referenced that book to him. So I want to 
just encourage us with this. Um, and this was something like that I was so challenged by as I considered this event and, and Saul's salvation. Um, when he's traveling, like I just think the timing of God in the moment he shows up in Saul's life. Uh, you know, like if you read the story just shortly before that, he just had Stephen murdered, who was a great leader in the church and a great guy. Um, he had him killed, and then he, he was moving on and trying to travel the world. And like, why did God choose that moment? I think if I was Stephen, I'd be like, man, God, two weeks ago would have been great. You know, like <laughs> I would appreciate that. But um, he chose that moment, and I think the timing of that is is important because as Saul is traveling the world to stamp out Jesus. Um, when he came to Christ, he would become the man that would travel the world to share Jesus. And I love how God is able to turn the very weapon of the enemy against him. And I brought a sword I'm not going to use on anyone, but I'm just going to... Uh, this is a William Wallace original. Um, and there is uh, this scene that I, I love in the scriptures with David and Goliath. And there's this scene back in the Old Testament where there's this giant of a man who intimidated everyone. And he had a spear, javelin, he had a big sword, and no one would stand to him. And there was this young guy with an awesome name, David. And not Didi, he was David. I just want to clarify. And he stood up to this giant. He had the courage. And what's amazing to me in the story is as Goliath pointed his sword at David and was ready to hack him down, David, right with the sling and stone, knocked Goliath out. Goliath falls. And what does David use to take him out? He uses his own sword. And I think one of the beautiful things about the gospel and, and rescue is that God is able to take the very sword of the enemy that brings affliction that brings hardship in our life. He's able to restore and redeem and turn it against the enemy so that one day the enemy would rue the day that he pointed that affliction at you. And so once Saul was afflicting the church, traveling everywhere to stamp it out, and he became the man who traveled the world to multiply the name of Jesus. How cool is that? And so I want to just get real like practical here this morning I just wonder, like, what, what are your afflictions that you're facing today? What, what are the things in your life that you're living with today that I truly believe that there is redemptive purpose in what God is doing? I just want to share just a couple examples and I'm going to close. We, uh, at Crosspoint, we, we have kind of stumbled into, uh, a lot of, uh, guys, uh, men and women struggling with addictions both alcohol and narcotics, heroin. And, and, and so we've just began like kind of organically supporting and walking with uh, a lot of people in addiction. And there's one guy in particular, Peter, who, um, is, went through it all and, and, and he shared his story openly. So it's not like dishonoring his name, but he's open about the, his battle with alcohol, with heroin and it almost killed him twice and ruined his life. Well, He's now over seven years clean and, and just has a heart and passion for other people to get freedom. 
And so for a person like him who was once under the heels of the enemy under addiction, uh, he just launched an A group at our church that meets every Monday night. And now he's gathering other men and women around him who are struggling with this and helping bring truth and good news and freedom and encouragement that this, that, that there's a way out. And I just love how what was once a sort of affliction in his life has now become a sword against the very enemy of affliction and is bringing freedom and release to people who need it. And I think that's, that is the power of the gospel. That is the power of salvation. Is God is able to take your shame, God's able to take your brokenness and turn that and, and restore it, redeem it, and make it into something just beautiful. Uh, one other thing I want to share is we, uh, last week, we lost someone so dear to us in our church. Her name was Jill Douglas, and she was uh, one of the most beautiful, amazing, glorious women that, that I have known outside of my wife and my mom since she's here. Um, <laughs> and she, she was amazing. And part of her story, um, which we, we actually filmed, and, and you can grab it on our website. Called, we did a series called Beautifully Broken, Part of her story is uh, her and her husband had four boys going after God. They planted a church, started a church in this area, and she got cancer 10 years ago. And as she was battling cancer, the husband, it was too much, left her for someone else. And as she is in the throes of cancer, she was forced to deal with a church that was broken up, marriage that was broken up, four boys who were wounded, and, and just struggling with real suffering and cancer. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of that, this woman really, truly, um, it wasn't ironic, like it wasn't like that's all she had, but she had Jesus. Like that's what she had. And I want to say he really was enough. And over the last 10 years, she has battled and fought this cancer. And um, her passion from a, a young child was always the nation of India. She loved India. She prayed for India. She had like compassion kids her whole life sponsored through um with India. And two years ago, her cancer went into remission. She got to go to India with Corey and Brooke and I think someone else from this church. And, and it was her lifelong dream to do this. And she did. And, and what I have seen in her life, I would say this is what her legacy has been. That you can suffer and go through every imaginable hardship. And yet there is such joy and life in Jesus. And so uh, Tuesday, um, last week before she passed, I, I got some time with her and this was the last time that she was coherent. She died two days later and, uh, an incredible amount of pain. Uh, the cancer was just taking over her body and they couldn't keep up with the pain meds. And so it, it was, it was just heart wrenching to be there and, uh, just emaciated the cancer, just like destroyed her body. Um, but here's the thing. There is a glory that exists in Christ that cancer cannot eat away. And she was more beautiful to me in that moment than being having her hair and everything else because there was just this re, radiant glory that exuded from her because of Jesus. And as we sat there, I said, Jill, any thoughts, any words, anything in your heart that you want to share with the church, with others, like what, what what's on your heart? And I'd always ask her that every time I'd visit, I, we would talk about it. And she goes, just love Jesus. He's enough. He's amazing. And this time in pain, as she was there, she turned and, and she said two things to me. She said, David, there are so many people who don't know Jesus 
who are lost, and there's so much work to be done. And I, I just feel like I'm ready to see my father, but I feel like there's, I got more work to do. And I want people to know that like there is a world that is so broken that needs Jesus. And, and that's so on my heart. And so the second thing is this time is so short. It just goes by. It's a gift. And, and I, I don't want to see anyone waste their life with vainless pursuits and miss the gold that's right in front of them. And as a preacher, that sounds really amazing. I have two witnesses who are there. That really happened. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody like that really like, come on guy. Like, like that was her heart cry. Like that was it before she died. And here's the thing that stood out to me. Like in the end, she breathed her last breath and she is with Jesus now. But I think I, I, I know that her legacy for hundreds of people that have been watching this on display is that cancer would rue the day it ever entered in her life because her victory and her clinging to Jesus and her legacy is one of suffering and Jesus' sufficiency in the midst of everything else. And I'd say that will be a lasting legacy that generations will remember about her life. And that sword was turned and she had the ultimate victory and she is with Jesus. And I want to just say to us here today, there is maybe some affliction that you are tasting. And the good news of Jesus, the salvation that we have in him, is that he is able to meet and show up and heal and, and, and enter into our story. And, and he's able to take that affliction and take that challenge and turn that and make that into something beautiful and glorious. And so my charge to you, Mercy Hill, is let depression rue the day it ever entered your story. Let anger, let resignation, let pornography rue the day it ever entered into your story. Like, find and cling and, and, and let Jesus seize your life. And let that redemption turn the sword and live in just the rich mercy and grace that we have in Jesus. I'm going to pray. I got, it's 11. Johnny, I'm sorry, I went over five minutes. But um, that's my heart for you this morning. I just felt like God would want you to hear this. So let's close. God, we, we stand today in the wake of your victory. Jesus, when you said those words, it is finished. Those words matter, God. I just pray that that the depression and just the struggle here, divided marriages, just getting by. God, your word, it is finished, is enough for us. And so we open our hearts this morning and and just the brief moment, God, the, the time is, we don't know, God, the gift of time that we have. But right now we open our hearts to receive from you all of your love, 
all of your grace. I just believe that the Lord would want you to receive kindness this morning. We just receive this morning your kindness, God. I just believe there's some here who are sitting under such shame and condemnation that you loathe your life and your story. So much self-loathing. When you look in the mirror, you hate what you see. Your kindness, God. We just receive your kindness. Oh, it was joy. It was your pleasure before we were born that we would be yours, that we would be called by your name. And so we receive that this morning. Lord, I pray for the men this morning that are living a small story. God, the men who are just trying to find their own hakuna matata and just get by. God, I just pray that you would invite that your word to them would be, Son, come, come with me. We respond to your invitation as a kind father to re-enter the journey, re-enter the fight. We just say yes to you today. I just know that as we leave, some people might say that sounds great, but coming right back home and it's right there staring at me. And so for the battle that will be fought today, tomorrow morning, we just receive, God, your strength and your courage to face it. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way. Thank you, God, for salvation, for rescue. We receive that, God. We receive your death in our place where you dealt with our sin and your, our brokenness and our mess. We receive all of that this morning. I pray a blessing over this church, over these families, over these singles, these kids, whatever season they're in, God, I pray blessing over them. I pray the joy and the life and the goodness of God would reign in this place. I pray that good news would be shared. I just pray that your gospel, your rescue would be championed here. I pray for stories of rescue that would come from this place week after week. In your name we pray. Amen.